here too as Kim. Okay, so here's, here's what I want to do. I want to start tonight. I want us to just think about um, important events in human history. Think about some of the most important events in human history. And, and, and if, you know, we'll just talk about a few that are really important to us as Americans, things that have happened here in, in America, I mean, but things that have also happened worldwide, things that have changed the landscape, things that have changed things, um, most recently would be, would be COVID. Like it or not, it changed, it changed things. Uh, you know, my wife is a school teacher, and she, you know, when they went back to school after everything shut down, we're still, you know, we're two years later, and she's saying, kids are different. Like, they, like something changed in them. Like whenever we removed them, when, when they weren't in schools anymore, like things, things changed. And so our culture in this world is going to be forever different moving forward because of, uh, because of COVID-19. And we can talk about all sorts of different things. We can talk about specifically for us, maybe not worldwide, but if you lived on the coast back in 2005 and you were here for Hurricane Katrina, that had a drastic impact on your life. It, it changed your life in the moment, but it also had ripple effect, right, into the years to, to come. And the same thing, like I said, with, with COVID. You think about um, before that, there was 9-11, and that drastically in, impacted us uh, as a nation, but as a world. And, and, and terrorism became a very different because it wasn't just something that happened somewhere else. Like it was in our own backyard. And so this forever changed. And so if you keep going back and you think about how Vietnam, the war in Vietnam, how that changed things. You think about, um, now we're getting, we're getting past some of our lifetimes. So you know what I mean? Like some of you, like you're going to continue to resonate and Sorry, you're just old. But you think about the assassination of, of JFK and, and how that changed our, our country and our world. You, you, you keep going back and you think about World War I and World War II. Think about the Great Depression that was wedged in between there. And when you, when you know people who experienced the Great Depression, they saw things very differently. They approached things very differently because they... They knew that they needed to be careful. And so, it, again, it's the, there's these human, human history and these events in human history that have, that have forever changed the world in which we live in. And, and you know, so we're kind of talking about maybe bad things. Uh, think about Christopher Columbus when he sailed the ocean blue in 1492. That forever, that forever changed our world. That forever changed us, right? We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that event in human history, good things. Like, think about the invention of the car. Think about the invention of the airplane. Think about all these things that have radically impacted the world in which we live in. I looked up today. One of my great pleasures in life is ice cream. So I personally think that one of the great events in life was the invention of ice cream. So that took place, just so you know, this is just for your for your knowledge, in the 17th century, ice cream was invented. It's one of my, like, the weekends, I, man, I get a bowl, and I stuff as much as I can get into the bowl, and then I stuff more. Uh, a few weeks ago, see, my wife gets a little pint of ice cream, and I get a tub of Bluebell, and it only lasts me two. It's embarrassing, but it's true. It literally only lasts me two sittings, and so... I pulled the lid off her pint and threw it away, and then I pulled the lid off the tub of Bluebell and threw it away, and she looked at me, and she's like, are you serious right now? And I'm like, nothing has changed. Like, this is, <laughs> and then I think one of, the, one of the great events in human history is the moment that God declared that his people could eat bacon. Another wonderful, like, so we've got all these wonderful events in history and they've changed human history, but here's what I want you to understand as we begin our discussion tonight. The greatest event in human history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? I mean, bacon's top five, but it, it's, a, it's a long shot. It's a far-off top five in comparison to, to that truth. If you think about the central miracle, and so we've been doing this study through the miracles... If you think about the central miracle of Christianity, it's, it's the incarnation of Christ. Like God put his feet on earth, okay? That's, 
an unbelievable, unbelievable miracle. And then you think, think with me about all the miracles that we've talked about through this series. And there's like, God did so many, so many amazing things. And we've just scratched the surface. There's so many other miracles that Jesus did that we haven't talked about. But then comes along the resurrection of Christ. And that miracle is on a whole nother level. The resurrection of Christ, what it does is it validates who Christ claimed to be when he was walking this earth. When he put his feet on the earth, the resurrection validates who he claimed to be. And he claimed to be the Messiah. That's who he claimed to be. And the Messiah rose from the dead and it validates exactly who he said he was. And so if Jesus had died, this is, this is important. If Jesus had died and remained dead, then he would be like every other religious leader that's ever existed in the, some, from the beginning of time. That he would, he would be no different than any other human being in history if he remained dead. But here's the thing. He didn't remain dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, listen to what, um, this is on your handout. This won't come up on the screen. And actually, we're, the, the text is not on your handout tonight. We're going to be in John chapter 20. So if you want to flip to John chapter 20, that's where we're going to be reading from if you have your Bible. Um, so you can follow along. We'll be in John chapter 20. But listen to, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, For I've delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and the 12 then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time whom of most uh, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep then he appeared to James then to all the apostles. And then listen to what he says down in, in verse 15. So he goes through and he talks about all that Christ did through his life and his death and his resurrection. And then he says, look, if Christ didn't, if he didn't rise from the dead, then we are to be most pitied of all people. Listen to what he says further down in verse, in chapter 15. He says, and if Christ has not ra- been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so what we see here is that we've seen Jesus. We, like we've seen Jesus, if you think to last week, Pastor Tony talked about Lazarus. And so we've seen where Jesus has raised people from the dead. We've spent an entire uh, weeks talking about this. And so we see that Jesus has, has raised people from the dead. But this is different. Jesus is the agent of his own resurrection. What we're going to look at tonight. He's the agent of his own resurrection. And he called a shot before he did it. So as if it's not enough to simply rise from the dead... He said exactly what he was going to do in the way in which it was going to happen before he ever did it. I don't, maybe, maybe some of you are old enough to remember at least your history buff or, or, um, or your, you know, a, co- I mean a, a sports fan. But remember, remember Babe Ruth? He steps up to the plate and he points out and he's like, he's about to hit a home run. First of all, not only is he calling that he's going to hit a home run, he points exactly where he's going to hit it out and he steps up to the plate and then he does it. Well, that's remarkable. But he wasn't dead and said he was going to raise from the dead and then he was alive. Like, that's awesome, but let's not get carried away, okay? Like, what Jesus did is, is unbelievable. In, uh, in John chapter 2, this is, and this is just one, this is just one place. Uh, Jesus, over and over and over again, he called his shot. Jesus told him, he said, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to be buried. I'm going to, I'm going to be buried for three days, and I'm going to rise from the dead. The, the grave isn't going to hold me. Like He makes this claim. But right here in John chapter 2, he says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Further down in verse 21 and 22, he says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And so Jesus had literally claimed, claimed this and called it before he, ever, before he ever did it. So here's what we're going to do. As we work through John chapter 20, we're going to talk about 
the different types of news uh, as we go through this story. It starts out, uh, and then we're just going to progress through the story. But it begins with what appears to be bad news. What appears to be bad news. Because Mary's going to come and say they've taken the Lord. All right? And so let's, let's take a look at the first couple of verses. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, John pats himself on the back in this passage a few times and uh, you know he doesn't name himself but when he says you know the other disciple you know the one who Jesus loved he's speaking about himself okay and so he's like you know yes you know Peter here but the one who Jesus loved the most here and so uh, they're going to get in a race here in a little bit and we'll have some fun with that as well but uh, or John has some fun with that Uh, but he says so he's 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 the other one so it's Peter and John is who, who's going, you know, we're seeing in this, in this passage so far. And so what we need to see from the very beginning is none of Jesus' followers expected to see him alive again. Which is, which is shocking if you stop and think about it. But none of Jesus' followers expected to see him alive again. Now think about what we just read in John chapter 2. Think about all the different places and the times that Jesus made these claims that he's going to, that he's going to die and he's going to raise from the dead. Think about all the times that this, this has taken place. But they couldn't grasp it, the idea of a crucified Messiah. They could not grasp the idea of a risen Savior. Like they just couldn't, they just couldn't do it. And so, as shocking as that seems, they couldn't because what, what does Mary say here? Right? She says, they've taken him. And so, this is, this is a side note, but I do think it's important for us to take a minute and talk about this for just a second. Because if you read in the, the Gospels, what you're going to read when you get to the, the account of the resurrection of Christ and the way in which that played out and happened, if you were to go through and you were to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it would appear that those are very different accounts of, of the resurrection and how it actually happened. And so, for instance, right here, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. If you read Matthew, it's going to say Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. If you read Mark, it's going to say Mary Magdalene. It's going to say Mary, the mother of James, and it's going to say Salome. If you read Luke, it's going to say women. These women went to the tomb. And then we get to John, and it just says Mary came to the tomb. So which one is it? Can, can they all be true? Is it, is it a contradiction that we see whenever we come to this, this passage here? Well, no, it's not a contradiction. What, what happens here, and specifically in this passage, is John is focusing specifically on Mary Magdalene. But it's clear even from this text that she wasn't alone. Okay? And so here's here's my question. Can Mary, Mary, and Salome all be at the tomb and Mary Magdalene be at the tomb? Well, sure. John chooses to focus on Mary Magdalene, but she wasn't alone. How do we know that? Because you look in verse 2 and it says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Okay? So she's like, we're focusing on Mary Magdalene, but she was with a group of ladies. And that's clear because she's saying that, hey, they've taken Jesus, but we don't know where they've, where they've laid him. And so clearly she wasn't alone. And so these things that seem like apparent contradictions, they're not at all. It's just different writers give different details. And so it's not that it's contradicting because a lot of people will say, well, you know, if everything's built on the resurrection of Christ and you have all these different accounts, I mean, that can't be true. Well, yes, it, it is true, okay? So um, what's happening here is, is, again, that John's focusing in on, on Mary, and, and she's showing up with a group of ladies, and what they're wanting to do is they're wanting to remember Christ. They're wanting to, to honor him. They're wanting to, to pay their final respects. And Mary specifically, like, like, think about all that Jesus had done for her. She just wanted to pay her final respects to the one who had changed her entire life. 
who gave her hope and gave, gave her life. But her response is, is that he's been stolen. Somebody's, somebody's taken him. And in some way, shape, or form, she's going to repeat that same idea three times in this, in this passage. So it's clear that, that, uh, that she's not expecting to see Jesus alive again. And that may seem shocking to us, but let's just, let's just be honest. Like, they didn't, they didn't see, okay, they didn't see the answer to the Lord's promise in the fact that he was going to be risen from the dead. They didn't, they didn't see that. They didn't see that coming. Mary nor, nor the disciples. And it's real easy for us to look at them and to look at it and say, from our padded pews and say, well, how could they get this wrong? You know, we all love to Monday morning quarterback. You know, we love to sit in our couches and talk about what, you know, what the quarterback should have done while we're sitting on our comfortable couches and we don't have 350-pound men coming to try to take our head off. It's, it's real easy to sit back and look and, and, you know, be critical of the way in which they did it or the, the way, you know, the way the coach handled it or the plays that were called or the, and to sit back. But we're not in the middle of it. We don't, we don't, we're not in the trenches in those moments. It's real easy to sit for, in our living rooms and do that. Much harder on the sideline or when you're playing in the game. And it's real easy for us to, to sit here today and say, okay, well, you know, how did they miss this? I mean, Jesus had... Jesus had told them, he had told them, but stop and think about exactly what had just taken place. Like, they witnessed the cross. Like, Mary Magdalene was there when Jesus breathed his last breath. They saw, she specifically saw his mutilated body. They they saw them drive the nails into Jesus' hands and feet. They, they watched as a sword was pierced into his side to make sure that he was dead. They watched his limp, lifeless body be taken from the cross and saw him go into a tomb. Okay, yeah, Jesus said something about a temple in three days, but they're looking at Jesus and going, what, what is going on? What is going on? So she tries to explain what she's seeing she shows up to the tomb and Jesus isn't there and so the only explanation is that somebody's taken him and so we often try to explain away the unexplainable God that we serve if we're not careful what we'll do is we'll try to explain away the unexplainable God that we serve and so God is very capable of raising people from the dead we've seen Jesus do this specifically in the lives of others but now it's come to Christ, we, we, and they're completely, completely sidetracked. And so what happens is, is we try to put a period where God's put a comma. So Jesus is dead, and Mary's trying to go, period, end of story. But God's got a comma there. It's a comma. Jesus is dead, comma, but he is risen, okay? So we oftentimes do, try to do the same thing. Like we try to put a period where God's, where God's put a comma. And so we look at our circumstances and we think, well, there's no hope. There's no, there's no chance. There's no way. There's no, like, they're too far gone. I'm too far gone. My circumstances are too bad. God can't do it. I know God can do these things, but he's probably not going to. It's not going to happen. And so what we do is we try to explain away the unexplainable God in which we serve. And we put him in a box. And so that's what's happened here. That, that the, the disciples that Mary, they're, they're, putting, they're putting God in a box. And God can't be put in a box. He's, he's unexplainable. He, he can do far more than we can imagine. Far more than we could ever hope for. He's doing, he's doing far more than we could imagine and hope for in the midst of these dark circumstances. When it looks like it's the worst thing ever, it actually is the best thing that have, could have ever been. But oftentimes we find ourselves in the same situation in our own lives. And so what we do is we just try to explain away and think that this is just the way things are going to be. And we can't, we can't mistake um, what we can see and what we can understand for the reality of what God is doing and who he is and what he's promised. And so we got to be very, very careful. The empty tomb, it looked a lot like bad news. It looked a lot like catastrophic defeat. But... That's not the end of the story. Okay, so we got what appears to be bad news. Then we roll up on some 
some strange news. Some strange news. So if we keep reading verse 3 through, uh, verse three through 10. So Peter, so remember Mary goes and gets uh, Peter and then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John. And evidently John is faster than Peter and he likes to brag about it. But hey, you know. Uh, so verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outrun, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look, look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went in the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. I, I envisioned, um, I envisioned like, okay, so John outruns Peter, and he makes sure that we all know about it, and all of his, that everybody in all of history will forever know that John is faster than Peter. Um, but I think Peter would say, no, 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 it was the first one in the tomb, right? <laughs> the first one in the tomb is the one who, who wins the race. You know, you race with your kids, and like, no, the first one to touch this, or, you know, we just make the rules up as we go. But Peter, I imagine, would say, I won because I was the first one in the tomb. What are you, you're stupid, you scared to go in? Like, you know, Peter just knocks John over and barges on, barges on in. And stooping to look in, he saw linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus, uh, on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So we see this, this announcement of Mary that they've taken, they've taken Jesus. And so Peter and John, they're like, well, is she confused? Maybe she went to the wrong tomb. Like, and clearly they know where they're going because they take off running. They didn't stop and ask for direction. Everybody knows where Jesus was buried. And so they're barreling down to make sure that, that Mary saw what she says that she saw. That she really, because it didn't make sense. They're going, really? Like, is he, how is he not there? I mean, this has happened a thousand times in my house. I go to look for something in the pantry, and I tell my wife, it's not there. And then she walks around the corner, reaches in, grabs it, and pulls it out. And so that's what Peter and John are thinking. They're thinking, oh, well, clearly, you know, she's like Brian. But that's not what's going on here. And she, so she comes and tells them, they go, and then they get there, and there's nothing there. But there's, you know, some linen and a face cloth, and the face cloth is folded up. And that doesn't make sense. That makes zero sense. That makes no sense that, think about it, if some robbers were coming along or some conspirators were coming along, the last thing that they would do is unwrap Jesus before they steal the body. It makes no sense. And so they go in and like, okay, you're right, Jesus isn't here, but everything that he was buried in is, is right here. It doesn't make any sense. The grave clothes were a silent witness to a stunning miracle. A silent witness to a stunning miracle. And here's the thing. John saw the clothes and God gives him insight. God gives him understanding to exactly what happened. I don't know. Like, I, I, I wonder, did he say something to Mary? Did he say something? Because then it says they just left. And I don't know, is John thinking, okay, he rose from the dead. But probably thinking, I don't know that I'm going to see him. Like, he's not here. He's with the Father now. You know what I mean? Like, what's going through his mind? Is he just, just savoring this for himself as he goes back to where he was? Or, or is he talking with Peter along the way? And, and you know what I mean? Like, what's going on? But we know that Mary doesn't believe the same thing that, that John believes because we're about to pick up the story um, here in, in verse 11. But we see that, that Jesus' body had not been stolen, that he, is, that he is risen. So, our next bit of news is great news. It's great news. All right, let's read verses 11 through, 11 through 18. So think about everything that's going on. Now, Mary stood there weeping outside the tomb. As she had wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. 
They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father. And your father, to my God, and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So understand what's going on here. And, and, and it's important. This is important for us to understand before we move forward. It's important to understand that the early Christians didn't believe in the resurrection because they found an empty tomb. A lot of times we say that, like, that, that they, they came to the empty tomb and, like, that was the pinnacle. That was the moment. Well, no, Mary's weeping at an empty tomb. It, but when she saw the resurrected Jesus, that was, that was the game changer. That was the game changer. That's when everything changed. When she, she believed because she saw the risen Savior. That's, that's why she believed. That was the ultimate surprise. I mean, I want you to think about all the, I mean, I love surprising people. I don't know about you. I hate being surprised. But like, this is the ultimate surprise. I wonder what Jesus was thinking. Like, was he looking forward to this? You know what I mean? When, when our kids were when our kids were young, we decided uh, it was the first time we were going to Disney World. And we were like, hey, we're going to go to Disney World. We're going to surprise our kids. And so we didn't tell our kids. We were so excited. Me and my wife were so excited. Our kids were young. We had my daughter. My son had bunk beds in his room. So we had my daughter sleep in with him, which wasn't uncommon. So she's up on the top bunk. And so at 5 o'clock in the morning, we start blaring through the house. It's a small world after all. And so it's blaring through the, you know, through the house on the radio. And, uh, I mean, it's blaring. So then me and my wife go into the bedroom, and we're singing and dancing around the room. And my kids are, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. And they look up, and they're like, what is going on? And we're like, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you doing? We're going to Disney World. Y'all want to go? And, you know, and in that moment, my daughter, like, jumps from the top bunk onto the floor. And, like, their clothes are set out. And we're like, your clothes are here. And so my daughter's, like, on the ground putting her clothes on. Where are we going? When are we doing? Like, what are they? She's asking a thousand questions. My son's looking at me like, no, we're not. I'm like, you just don't want to get up. That's what's going on. But the ultimate surprise of, like, we were looking forward to that for so long. Like, we just wanted, couldn't wait to surprise them. I wonder if, and again, this is just me thinking through. Like, I wonder if Jesus was looking for the, just for that moment when he says Mary's name and she realizes that he rose from the dead. Like, she's in her sorrow and he's, like, just waiting for the moment that she realized that, wait a minute. Like, Jesus is risen. And this is a big, this is a big moment. This is a big moment. And one, with one word, everything changed for Mary. Think about that. With one word, her name, by the risen Savior, everything changed. And she didn't want to let go of him. Apparently, she grabs a hold of him, and she didn't want to let go. And he's like, hey, hold on. Like, go tell the other, you know, go tell the other disciples. Go tell the other disciples. You can't stay here with me forever. Like, go, go tell the other disciples. All right? And so she goes, and she tells him, I've seen the Lord, which is, which is great news, which is great news. In verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. This is a, this is a never-to-be-forgotten moment. Jesus comes in, his disciples are are gathered and he shows them his hands he holds out his hands for them to see he shows them the side where he was pierced think about the most unbelievable thing that you've ever seen in your entire life maybe it's a you know maybe it's a sunset or a sunrise maybe maybe it's a mountain range maybe you're up on the mountains and you're looking out maybe you've been to Alaska or maybe uh, maybe it's a, a beach somewhere with the most beautiful water that you've ever seen maybe 
It's the birth of your, of your child. Maybe, I, I mean, I don't know what that is for you. I wondered, uh, I wondered today how Matt would answer this. I wondered, like, what would he say is the most unbelievable thing that he's ever seen? And then I thought to myself, whatever it is, it will only last until Saturday. Because from that moment forward, see, we're going to be at the Joseph Home Golf Tournament Saturday. And from that moment forward, he's going to be able to say the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen is when Brian hit that hole in one. I told my wife last night, I said, hey, I'm bringing an extra pair of socks uh, to the golf tournament on Saturday. And she was like, okay, why? And I was like, because I'm going to get a hole in one. (laughs) That's pretty bad. I'm not going to get a hole in one. I'm just letting you all know I'm not. But hey, if I do, Matt, you got a new top, most unbelievable moment. But in that moment, like stop and think. Jesus is standing in front of them. He's holding out his hands. He's, he's pierced in the side. Like he's standing there in front of them. And it's unbelievable. Like I know that the word of God is infallible. I know that it's perfect in every way. But John says that they were glad. That's how John describes it. Like Jesus has risen from the dead. He's standing in front of them. He's showing them the holes in his hands. And then in verse 20, he says, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Like, I think, okay, all right, that's a great description. But like, but yes, understatement of the century. They were glad to see the Lord. Yes, the risen Savior. Like, it's a, it's a big deal. It's the most unbelievable thing that they have ever seen without question. Without question. So we move to our last bit of news. We're going to see some life-changing news. Some life-changing news. Let's look in verse 24 and 25. Um, Now Thomas, because Thomas wasn't there when all of this went down, so Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So he's, they're, they're declaring that they've seen God, but Thomas wasn't buying it. He's like, you, you're, you, you're, maybe you're seeing things, maybe you, like somebody looks like Jesus, but it's not really Jesus. Or sometimes, you know, maybe he's thinking that sometimes how we want like we want something to be true so bad that like we try to convince ourselves that it's that it's true and so maybe he's thinking that maybe you've just convinced yourself but it's not it's not really true because he understands that dead people don't just return to life that this is you know he's saying this is wishful thinking the disciples like Thomas Mary like they saw the nails driven into Jesus's hands they saw the nails driven into his feet. They, they saw his lifeless body. They were witnesses to his death. And I want you to just think about this. I've, I've been thinking about this all week. The disciples were so used to winning. They were so used to winning. I want you to think about uh, it's, it's basketball season. And so um, you may have your opinion or you may not care anything about basketball. But I feel like even if you don't know anything about basketball, you still know who Michael Jordan is. In my opinion, the greatest basketball player to, to ever live. You know, we got some great basketball players today. Um, I think Steph Curry is probably the greatest shooter we've ever seen. But Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever live. Imagine if, if you're, you're, you're with Michael Jordan in the pinnacle of his playing career. And, like, you're on his team. And you're playing some middle school boys. Like, everywhere you, you, everywhere you go, you're on Michael Jordan's team. Like everywhere you go, you never lose. All you, you just pass the ball to Michael Jordan because he's the greatest basketball player to ever live. And so we're just, all we're going to do is just feed the ball to Michael Jordan. And so it doesn't matter who we're playing. It doesn't matter when we're playing. It doesn't matter how many people we're playing against. You got Michael Jordan. And so everywhere you go, you're continually winning. You never lose. You never lose. Think about the disciples. Think about the disciples. There with Jesus continually. They see him win over and over and over again. You know how we get into conversations with people and maybe arguments or disagreements. And then we go home and we replay those conversations in our mind. And then we think, 
well, I wish I had said this. Or you know what, we replay it and we're like, well, I, I'm going to say this. And they're like, yeah, take that. You know what I mean? It's like, and in our mind, we always win those arguments. We always win the, like we always back people in the corner. Like we, in our mind, we kill it. Well, that's what Jesus was. Like people, the, the religious leaders would try to back Jesus in a corner. They would, they would try to trip him up. And he was always one step ahead. He always had the perfect return to whatever they said, always. And the disciples were there going, yeah, what he said. Right? When, when, when storms roll in, when it looks like they're about to die, they go wake Jesus up and they're like, we're going to perish. And Jesus is like, storm, stop. And it does. When Jesus doesn't have a boat ride, he comes walking up on water. Hey, guys. Right? He's raising people from the dead. He's casting out demons. Every, like, he, and there with Jesus, they were so used to winning. Like, they never continually over and over and over again and then all of a sudden he's slaughtered he's dead he's gone and there they are and they've got all these questions and they've got all like they're trying to to sort through this thomas is broken and he's questioning in this moment he's questioning he's questioning what he had given his life to for the last three years he had questioned everything that jesus had said he's questioning all the things that he had seen like he's questioning is this even real is it real and i can't believe it just because you say you saw something i know what i saw and what you're saying doesn't make sense we were winning, but this isn't a win. And so unless I see his, his hands and I'm able to stick my fingers through those holes, I'm not going to believe. So go on and do whatever it is that you're going to do, but I'm not buying it. And let's just be honest. Like, it doesn't seem too far out of, too far out of reach. And then verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Thomas, in that moment, he not only believed, but he worshipped. And he realized whatever category that he had previously used to describe Jesus was completely inadequate. It did not do justice to who he was. That he was standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one to whom all will bow. He understood who he was in front of. And then I've been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks. I've been thinking about how... Thomas gets a bad rap. We all know Thomas is what? Come on. Doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. Old Thomas. Old doubter. Jesus doesn't do that. Why do we? Like, we see this as a negative thing, don't we? Like, we, we think doubting, we, we see it and we think in negative context. Like, why, how could Thomas doubt? Jesus doesn't look at Thomas and say, Thomas, how could you doubt? He doesn't look around to the disciples and say, hey, I want to use this as a teachable moment. Don't be like Thomas. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He invites him. He's saying, you can doubt. You can bring your questions to me. I'm big enough to handle. I got the, hand, the, the holes in my hands to prove it. I'm not, Jesus isn't scared of our questions, but oftentimes, if we're honest, we see doubt as a negative thing. And we see people who doubt as having weak faith or being in a bad spot or, you know, we just fill in the blanks. But the truth is, is Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. And this isn't the only place in Scripture where we see people doubting. And, and Jesus does not, does not attack them. He doesn't do that. And so we gotta be we gotta be careful. See, we see it as negative. We see uncertainty as disloyalty. We see ourselves when we wrestle with questions, we we oftentimes think less of ourselves or we think less of others whenever they're 
wrestling, think that they're not doing well. And sometimes that's true. But there is a such thing as healthy doubt. That's what I want to I drive home in this moment is that there is a such thing as, as healthy doubt. And that, that healthy doubt can lead to stronger, more compelling faith. Do you, do you think Thomas ever looked back and was like, I don't know if I believe? No, he saw Jesus resurrected. And he went from being one thing to being something completely different. But he asked the hard questions. Jesus invited him in, gave him the opportunity to, to search and to seek for those questions. He answered those questions. And then Thomas was forever changed because he had doubted and because he had seen the resurrected Jesus. That's what we, that's what we see here. And so it, it wasn't, but he, so here's another thing I was thinking about that Thomas tested. He, he tested this, and, and he walked away with stronger, more compelling faith. But what we see in Thomas was not blind belief. He wasn't just going to take the word. He wasn't going to ride on the coattails of somebody else's faith. He wasn't going to ride on the coattails of all the other people that said they had seen Jesus. No, he wanted to, he wanted to see Jesus for himself. He, wanted, he needed to experience the resurrected Jesus for himself so he could have a faith that he could stand on in this life. And so that's so true for us as well. You know, for all those years that I worked with teenagers, it was so important to me. It's like, hey, you can't ride on the coattails of your parents' faith. It's got to be your own faith. You've got to ask the hard questions. And Jesus is inviting them in. That's what he does. He, he, he invites him. If Christianity can't be questioned, then it isn't worth believing. Jesus doesn't resist this investigation. He invites it. What did he say in verse 27? Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. He didn't rebuke Thomas. He invited him in. Does Thomas put his, his finger in his hands? Does he put his hand in his side? I don't know. But Jesus gives him permission to do so. Jesus gives him permission to lean in. He gives us permission to put our, our head on our Heavenly Father's chest when we don't understand what's going on. He gives us permission to come in and to do that. When, when it doesn't make sense to us, when, when we have questions, when we have fears, when we have doubts, when we have we see this with John the Baptist. I mean, in the beginning of John, he's declaring, Behold the Lamb of God. And then later we see. John the Baptist, when he's in prison, he's like, he sends some of his messengers, hey, go make sure that he's, he's really who he says he is. Jesus doesn't scold John. He doesn't say, hey, tell him, quit being an idiot. He says, tell him of all the things that you've seen. Tell him the blind see, the lame walk. And, and so we see this over and over again. You, you look at the Psalms. I mean, it's over and over and over in Scripture. In Psalm 13, this is what David says. He says, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David essentially asked God if he cares at all about his life. In two verses, he questions God's timing, he questions God's goodness, and he questions God's sovereignty. And there are going to be times in our life when it doesn't make sense to us. Let me, let me read this. This isn't on your handout. But let me read how, uh, how David ends this psalm in verse 5 and 6. That it says, but I have trust now. Think of what he just questioned, the question he had. But then he went back to the things that he knew to be true. He had searched. He went in. God allowed him permission to, to come in with these questions. And then in verse 5 he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He remembered exactly who God is. There's going to be moments when it doesn't make sense. So here's how I want to close out our, our time. I want, to, uh, I want to just talk about three things that will um, help us, you know, because there is healthy and unhealthy doubting. But what are some, and I don't want to spend our time talking about unhealthy doubting. Like, let's just talk about, like, how do we, when we find ourselves in seasons where, kind of like Mary here, 
when we're in the middle of something that doesn't make sense and we feel completely destroyed, completely hopeless, and, and we find ourselves asking questions we never thought we'd ask or not believing things we never thought, like what, like what do we do? What do we do? Number one, I would say talk about your doubts with wise and mature believers. Talk about your doubts with wise and mature Christians. It's important that you lean into these questions in community. Because here's the temptation. When we find ourselves in these seasons, we start having these problems. What we'll do is we'll isolate ourselves. And when we isolate ourselves, we leave ourselves to our own, to our own thoughts. We live in a world. We live in a culture who wants to just continue to create doubts for us as well. And so if we withdraw from God's people in God's community, then we set ourselves up for, for disaster. We self, set ourselves up for danger. And so what we do is we find people who genuinely love Jesus and people who genuinely love us and we wrestle through these things together. We're never intended to do this alone. That the promise is that God declares is that God goes with us, that we'll never, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so wherever we find ourselves, that he's in the battle with us, but he's also placed us in a community of believers that we can wrestle through these things together. But we've got to create a safe place where it's safe to doubt. It's safe to have questions where we can, we can work through these things together. And we'll come out stronger in our faith on the other side because, because of them. All right? So we talk about our doubts with uh, wise and mature believers. And then do your research. Have you looked for the answers to your questions? See, lots of people love having doubts. And all it is 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 an excuse to live our lives however we want to live them. Right? We have doubts. And we're like, oh, well, you know, how could this be true? Or, you know, how could, why does it say Mary Magdalene here? And it says Mary and Mary and Salome over here. And like, you know what I'm saying? So like, well, how can that be true? Now I can't trust anything the Bible says. And not going to actually do some investigating and dig in and figure out the answer to the question. It's really just an excuse to live our life however we want. And so I say, do the research. Like, dig in. Like, do the hard work. Like, there's an answer. God's not playing hide and seek. He's not trying to trick us. Like there's, there's an answer, but it's not just going to, sometimes it's not just going to jump off the page. We're going to have to do the hard work to find the answer to the question. And we're going to have to wrestle through those things. Right? Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you kind of seek me. When you seek me with all your heart, with everything. You want to know the answer? Come at me with it. Jesus is standing there saying, come on. Like, I'm not afraid of your questions. I'm not afraid. There are lots of really, really smart people that can help us along the way, whether it's people uh, here or whether it's uh, people who have wrestled with the same questions that we wrestle with. Lots of wonderful authors, Sproul, Spurgeon, Tozer, Keller. Like, lots of, and, and I mean, the list goes on and on. A great resource, I think, is um, Got Questions gotquestions.org or you can actually get the app got questions and so just about any question that you can think of uh, it's very uh, biblically sound and it's not a 10-page dissertation uh, it's very direct and to the point it's very helpful and so those are things but and and you know here's the thing when you come to people with your questions like a lot of times what will happen is if you come to if you come and ask Pastor Tony you're wrestling with something or you go to your community group leader or you go to your D group leader or you come to Matt or myself or a lot of times we're going to point you to a resource we may give you a book um i would read it right so like you're gonna have to do some work on your own like we're not gonna spoon feed you the answer like it's got to be your faith you got to dig in you got to figure this thing out for yourself like if, if all you're doing is come to me so i can feed you here's the airplane in the hangar like you know what i mean like that's not how this works it's your faith and so that means you're going to have to do your part, okay? And then lastly is to filter your questions through Jesus. You should filter our questions through Jesus. The key is not just seeking information about God, but seeking God himself, okay? It's not just about gaining information. It's about seeking that, that passage in Jeremiah 29. It's seek, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The key is seeking God himself. 
everything that we need to know about God has been revealed to us in Christ. Everything that we need to know about him. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. He changed everything for Thomas. He changed everything for Mary. He changed everything for the disciples. I mean, stop and think about it. They went from being unbelievably fearful to being unbelievably fearless. Why? Why? What changed? What changed? They saw Jesus risen from the dead. And they were willing to give their lives because they had seen a resurrected king. Everything changed for them because they had seen a risen Savior. He changed everything. And so the question is, is what about us? How does that affect how does that affect us? Jesus goes on in verse 29 here. He says, Jesus says to, after he tells Thomas this, he says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And that is, that is us. And so what about us? How does, how does, should this affect us? If Jesus really died, if he really rose from the dead, if he's really placed his spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Stop and think about this. The, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. If he's placed that spirit inside of us, it changes everything for us. The same way it changed everything for Thomas and Mary and the other disciples. And that's the point moving forward here. It's like, okay, well, it changes. It should change everything. That he really lived the perfect life that we could never live. He really died our death. The penalty for our sin was death. And he paid the price. And then the check cleared. He rose from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated sin. And that changes everything for you and for me. Because we now have life in him. Amen?